Greetings and salutations, everyone. Bob Taylor here. Like many of you, I recently saw Mad Max Fury Road and loved it to death. So I hooked up with CultSpark contributor Terrence Abar a few nights ago to discuss the film at further length. We recorded our conversation and present it to you now as a CultSpark minicast. One word of warning, there are heavy spoilers throughout the next 30 minutes, so proceed at your own risk. So we're going to talk about Mad Max. Yes. Yeah. I think that's on the docket, right? <laughs> I believe so. If I if I saw correctly, it's the official Cold Spark um, memo I received, you know, was uh, accurate. I, I try to keep those things accurate. I try to let you know what we're going to do, Terrence, rather than just drag you here blindfolded and let you. Dude, I would be totally talking. down for that. Why not do that? Just the Cold Spark potpourri podcast. The Cold Spark, yeah, man, De- potpourri. Dealer's choice. Dude, I will fucking answer any... I will talk about anything you want to fucking talk about, and we'll make that shit entertaining. It would be like I would Skype you, you would show up, and I'd be like, Terrence, tonight's topic is Ridley Scott's legend. Go. Well, I really like Meg Mucklebones, <laughs> and Robert Picardo is... It's pretty amazing how a guy could be so willing to allow himself to be buried on the layers of makeup. Who, who are we talking about? Who's he play? Robert Picardo plays that witch in the fucking swamp. Does? I didn't know that. I just know Tim Curry is the big devil demon. Yeah, man. But that scene in the swamp, that's my favorite scene because that monster looked scary. Mm. All right. No, I'm sorry, Terrence. We're here to talk about Mad Max Fury Road. The latest okay. ins- the latest installment in George Miller's post-apocalyptic opus. So, Terrence, what, what were your thoughts on Fury Road? How did you feel about it coming out of the theater? What I've been telling everybody is that um, I think it's literally madness and or insanity just caught on film. It really is. I mean, there were points in this movie where I was sitting there wanting to scream. Like, I felt like I was in the middle of these car chases. And, like, I thought, you know what? As a matter of fact, I'll put it to you like this, actually. Tom Hardy being strapped to the front of that car, that's exactly what watching that movie felt like for me. Like, I was Tom Hardy strapped to this fucking car. It is just insane to watch, and an absolute blast. I loved it. It's my favorite movie of the year thus far. Same here. I thought it was better than Furious 7, which I really liked. I thought it was much better than Age of Ultron. And, I mean, I would be shocked if anything that comes out this summer proves more entertaining. Honestly. I saw Mad Max two days ago. I, um, I saw it on on Saturday after it opened, and then the next day I made the mistake of seeing Avengers: Age of Ultron, and I swear to God, it was like watching a turtle race. <laughs> That's it, it, the Avengers felt so subdued after yeah. what I had witnessed, after what I had experienced in the theater the day before. Yeah, it would Avengers would have been better served by you doing that reverse order because you know. Once you've seen Mad Max and once you've bore witness to the doof warrior, the guitar guy, ringing out power chords across the battlefield, everything else just seems kind of wimpy by comparison, doesn't it, Terrence? 
it's insane. It's like it's almost like he made he took the first three movies, combined them, and made it even more intense and exaggerated and insane. It was so the the he you're taught you're speaking of is George Miller. Mm-hmm. who directed the original films starring Mel Gibson were Mad Max, uh, Mad Max 2, which was called The Road Warrior here in the States, and Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. These films came out, I should look this up, but I'm going to say Mad Max was like 79? Mad Max was 79, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and Road Warrior for sure was 82. Ro- I'm looking and right then, now. Uh, Road Warrior was 81. It was 79, 81, and then Thunderdome was 85. Right. So it's been... That's sort of the Mel Gibson Max trilogy, and now it's been, uh, I guess, 30 years since the last one. Miraculously, a studio gives George Miller $150 million to do another one of these things. Yeah, but was that by choice, though? <laughs> it sounded like they just went over budget. Uh, maybe I'm not sure. I just I think it's somewhat. I just think it's a little bit shocking this film even got made because it's not like the Mad the Mad Max films were always more cult hits. I mean, yeah. these things were not huge blockbusters. I I saw I was looking at the box office breakdown of these films, counting inflation, and even when you count inflation, Fur- or, or Thunderdome would have only made eighty or ninety million in today's dollars. So it's not yeah. like these were massive box office juggernauts. And yet somehow um, George Miller decides he wants to revisit this universe. It takes him a long time to get this movie off the ground because originally it was going to be Mel Gibson was going to star in it. And then some time had passed. Mel got into his personal troubles. And then Heath Ledger was going to star in it. And then we lost Heath. And there were some other issues. So it took him a while to make this fourth installment. But 30 years later, it finally comes out. And, uh, you know, one of the first things I ever wrote for Cult Spark was a – I do a series called Reboot Court where you look at movies that are getting rebooted or remade or kind of loose sequels and talk about whether it's a good idea. And I flat out say I didn't think doing, uh, doing a new Mad Max movie 30 years later without Mel Gibson, I didn't think it was a good idea. But boy, I think was I it, disagreed with you on that at the you time. May you may have. Well, it turns that. out you were right and I was wrong because this was a movie that needed to exist. I need Fury Road in my life. I need to see this movie again and again and again and should, then again. <laughs> I should be watching it right now instead of talking to you, quite honestly. <laughs> but, um, I mean, it's one of the best action movies in the last few years. The, uh, the only thing I can think of that maybe comes close is John Wick. Actually, I probably slightly prefer John Wick because as, as our listeners know and as you know, Terrence, I love John Wick. You know, it's funny to hear that because the other day you were talking with, uh, you know, fellow Cold Spark contributor Stuart Smith, and uh, you guys were talking, and you guys were comparing the two, and it's like, look, man, I love John Wick, but to compare these two movies is a bit, I don't know, man. It's John Wick was good, but this was like, we should be considering ourselves lucky to have gotten a film like this. I mean, and to actually have seen it. It's kind of unfair. We're only comparing them in so much that they're both action films that we really loved recently, but they're not very similar. <laughs> I mean, you know, John, nah. John Wick's sort of a modern-day gun-fu type of deal, and Mad Max is this, again, insane fever dream. And then, no, it's not fair to compare the movies, but you know what, dude? Look, John Wick and Mad Max, those are two completely different action movies that give us both something just off the walls, but... But just different levels of intensity and scale, that's all. I, so, think, that, I, think, yeah. that, I think the thing for me was is John Wick was like a 100% fresh experience for me. Like It was like 
it was unlike anything I had seen re- in a while. Whereas yeah, Max, it, I mean, it still is great as it is. It's still kind of in the shadow of the original films, especially The Road Warrior. It doesn't. Fury Road doesn't do much different, I don't think, from The Road Warrior, the previous Mad Max films. It just modernizes it and is so effective at sort of using new technology and a little bit of CG and a little bit of modern filmmaking techniques to bring us back to that universe. It's not really a wholly original vision. It's just a completely fucking badass version of a vision that we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, and I agree with you. But um, also, the CGI, I felt in the film, kept reminding me that the second one was all fucking practical stunts. Well, there's you see a people lot jumping from car to car. Right. Yeah, there, no, no, there was a ton of practical stunts in this one. But even just the fact that the film employs CGI and at times, you know, you know that's what you're watching. I just feel like I feel the same way about that, the same way I feel about the overuse of CGI in the Star Wars prequels. It always reminds me that they achieve more in the original Star Wars films with, with straight practical effects. And then... uh that's why the Road Warrior is like so awesome because it's like that was just craziness. Those were people jumping from car to car, really doing it and risking their lives, you know? I'll tell you what, I thought Fury Road was a near perfect blend of like practical and CGI because I yeah. I mean, it, obviously the sandstorms and some of that stuff was CGI, but from mm-hmm. like the car action, which I assume a lot of it was practical, whatever CG they work in there, you couldn't tell. And, and the like, car design, right? Man, yeah, those cars looked amazing. amazing. And even, there was that one spiky car. I loved that little porcupine car. Right. It was cool. Even some of the little things, like Furiosa's arm, mm-hmm. which, I mean, it looked like a practical effect, even though it can't really be a practical effect, since I'm pretty sure... Yeah, the, the fact that you could, see, you could see through the arm, like like you could see through the wiring and the, right. and the tubing and all that stuff. That was a really good effect. Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Man, that movie was... It's like, I don't even have the words for it, man. <laughs> All right, so how do you think Tom Hardy did his max? How's he stacking I thought now? he was fantastic. He... You know, look, I'm a Mel Gibson apologist. You know, I know he's done some dumb shit in the past or whatever, but... Yeah, some dumb I shit just, might be an understatement, but yeah. Yeah, you know, like, I already told you I'm an apologist. Hey, he, he sort of, you know, might have made a little boo-boo or whatever, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I just... I love the guy, and uh, it's... I grew up watching his films, you know what I mean? And it's like, like Tom Hardy, he, in cha- I guess in changing the character of Max from being Mad Max as an angry Max to a Mad Max like he's fucking insane Max. <laughs> right. Is uh, Tom Brady, uh, Tom Brady, uh, Tom <laughs> Hardy, sorry about that. Tom, Tom Hardy? Hardy? Yeah, I don't know what I... <laughs> now I kind of want to see Tom Brady as Mad Max and see how that Oh, goes. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> All the tires in the in the fucking would be deflated. <laughs> All right, Tom Hardy is Mad Max. No, no, Tom Hardy is Mad Max. He because they've changed Max a bit. I yeah. think that's what allows Hardy to kind of take over the role and make it his own. Yeah, you're right. I even said in my print review that this might be the quote unquote maddest version of Max we've gotten yet. And you're right. It's because he's he's insane with these visions of his past and the people he's lost are kind of haunting him. And we see well some- the clo- the closest that um in terms of insanity that Mel Gibson's Max character came in those films was probably uh 
I would say that one scene in the second one where he uh, he just gets like his car gets fucked up, like he's in that really bad car accident, and then they kill his dog. Right. And then uh, the the car blows up. They think he's dead, and then Bruce Spence, the gyro captain, comes to pick him up. And then while he's like taking, you know, he's like everything he's experiencing like in slow motion, and like Bruce Spence is talking with that weird like distorted voice. Right. That's like the one scene. In all three of those movies that I could think of, that he was like kind of losing it. Right. But in this movie, he's a literal fucking nutcase. But more fun for us because he's a blast to watch. Oh God, yeah, you know. And then it's like you know that's what makes the moments. And he has. His... Hardy has like how many how many words does Hardy say in this movie? I mean, it's less than fifty, right? No, he. I think he speaks a little more than that. I think yeah. towards the end he was a little little more verbal. Not much. But um. I mean that. Well, the thing about his character being such a nut was that it made those more emotional moments, I think, a little more powerful. Well, he does a lot of acting with his eyes and a lot with his physicality. Like when he's when he's got the file and he's hacking. It's like a file or a knife, and he's hacking at that leather that mask he's wearing with the leather straps in the back. And yeah. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't really require you know dialogue or exposition or anything, but it's just you can tell he's fully inhabiting the character by just sort of his. It ticks or the desperate moves he's making to survive or get out of whatever predicament he's in, he's great. Yeah. Then we have Charlize Theron. Am I pronouncing that right? It's Theron. Yeah. Right? Charlize Theron is Furiosa, who, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think I started hearing way back at the end of last year, like in sometime last fall, I first heard that Fury Road was more of a film with co-leads where it didn't really focus per se on Max but that Charlize Theron's character was either as important or more important to the film than Max was than Hardy was going to be and I remember at the time thinking well that's interesting we'll see how that works out and it turned out it's worked out fantastic she's fantastic in it I wonder what she said when she read the script was it like an instant like I gotta do this movie I I wonder I, I would think Charlize, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> you should uh, hit us up on Twitter or something. You I know, just thought let the, us know. I thought the balance between the two was so great because it really is Charlize's character who drives the story. You know, it's she's the one that's breaking these five wives out of the citadel and you know trying to free them from. Uh, What's our villain's name? What's that dude's? Morton Joe's grasp. Morton Joe. Yeah, he's trying to free them from Morton Joe's grasp and tears across the desert to free them, to rescue them, to save them. So it's really her story narratively, but at the same time, and Max is along for the full ride as he is in all of these movies. I mean, Max, mm-hmm. you know, in all the Mad Max movies, Max is kind of a passive character just trying to survive, really. Yeah. But he's along for the ride. He's really the soul of the film. He he's the soul of the film while Furiosa drives the plot, and it's like a perfect balance between both these characters, and they're both badasses, and I love her and, in it. And they all end the same way too, with Max just like disappearing into the wasteland. Right. I mean, that's kind of a, I mean, that's kind of a post-apocalyptic trope by now. I don't know if it's one that Mad Max birthed in any capacity or originated, but yeah, sort of the lone desert warrior, you know fading into the dusty landscape i think that's pretty typical but it works well for these films you know i gotta tell you man i just at one point watching that movie i literally felt like i was gonna start screaming that intense for you huh like it was just like so in your face man like this is a movie man that if people go see this shit 
like on some hallucinogens or something, it ain't gonna go. I don't think it's gonna go well, man. <laughs> it's just... What did you think of the living conditions at the Citadel, Terrence? How many days do you think you could make it there? I don't know, but you know, I was actually wondering, like, how long would it have? Like, how long would it take for a society like the one? depicted in the film how long would that take to exist after an, a, a, like a global apocalypse like how many years after before they build this, it back up to where they're even at citadel levels yeah like how long past whatever nuclear war happens would this take place because mm. i mean you gotta think dude they made the sculpture of that guy's fucking logo in the side of the mountain like how long does something like that take that kind of printing takes a while yeah, so I'm just curious. Those, like, how those, long would those it have custom taken? built cars, that's not an overnight process. You put an army of those things together. Right. Take some man hours, Terrence. For sure. I thought we had Nicholas Holt as Nux, the war boy. He was practically unrecognizable. I was surprised. You know, where, how what much... is he from? I actually, I'm not familiar with him. Nicholas Holt, he uh, he's the little boy in About a Boy, the Hugh Grant movie. Um, really, I've never seen that. He's he uh, he's fantastic as a child in it. And the movie's fantastic, and then he grew up and he's Beast in the X Men movies now. He plays young I, Beast. Ah, you see, I I knew I recognized him from X Men. Okay, I'm glad I got that one. There right you go. Now. And uh, I was surprised. He was good in it. He was good. I was surprised how good of a, how big of a part he had. But uh, when he's talking about what the hell is he talking about entering the entering Valhalla and he's spraying the chrome uh, spray paint across his face. Man, he goes full on on that role. Yeah, that was kind of spooky too when he had the uh, those two little uh, the tumors on his neck and he like had faces on them with names. Hey, the way some of those people look, I two two just two little tumors is getting off easy, I think. Yeah, oh for sure, <laughs> especially with uh, Immortan and Joe. Like, what was wrong with that guy? Uh, radiation poisoning, and I think he was older. Dude, that guy was just like that was pretty gross, man. He looked like cheese, like a walking block of like gooey cheese. Well, they're like it's like in the you know they're putting the body plates on him at the beginning. They're basically just holding him together. Right. Like you got the sense he was just going to turn into mush at some point if they didn't have these these body plates on him. It's um George Miller has a real talent for thinking up some disturbing shit. I really like the fact that this one. Like, he expanded on the formula in the sense that there was a main villain, but it's like his henchmen are are just as big a part as he is. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, all these movies kind of have, like, the video game feel, where there's, like, the main endgame boss, and then they have mm. their, they have their sub-bosses and their lieutenants, and I think all these movies kind of have that going on. What about the girls? Um, they're all good. They're very pretty. <laughs> I think some of them are models. I like how they stand. You know, they're wearing their little white flowing dresses, and they stand in stark contrast to the dirt and grime and sort of rust of the everything else that's in the movie. So visually, it makes for a striking visual to see them against the rest of the mess that the world's devolved into. Yeah. Um. The the main girl that was Rosie Huntington Whiteley, right? I thought she was very good. Yeah, she was actually pretty good in this. I mean, I guess uh, I thought that after the third Transformers, like I wasn't gonna really like her work too much, but she was good in this. What I know you were asking me because I saw it before you, and you were asking me about uh, Zoe Kravitz because yeah, I, I, I know I'm you a crush on like that. I know you crush on her a little bit. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> she uh, 
she's not given as much to do as a couple of the other ones are. I think they're mostly there as a, sort, a little bit of a MacGuffin and a little bit to provide a striking visual. But I think they work very well. Um, I like that they're not screaming damsels in distress. In fact, yeah. in fact, most of the time they seem very stoic, very calm, and just kind of note perfect in that regard. You know, I found that interesting too, like how this movie's language was a little tougher to pick up on. In the in the other Mad Max movies, like the English was a little clearer and, and easier to understand, but this movie had that weird like pigeon English thing going right. on. But I was surprised. I, I was surprised that it was. It's really not that violent or bloody. It's more intense than it is yeah. gory. There um, are, the only the only real scene of violence that I thought was a little strong was when she ends up ripping a Morton Joe's mask off, Furiosa. Right, Joe's, right, Joe's death, and he loses his lower jaw or whatever. But but when during the actual, you know, when she rips the mask off, it happens very quickly and it's it's edited very sort of rapid fire, and then mm-hmm. you, you get the quick glimpse of him missing the lower half of his face. But that's really the only you know sort of bloody, super violent moment. And it's quick, but it doesn't hurt the film. It's just, it's just the rest of it's so intense. Yeah, it was too much. I mean, no, let me not say it was too much because then that's gonna sound like I'm complaining. It was just all I know is that I left that movie feeling like adrenalized, man. Like I can only think of like a handful of other movies that I left the theater feeling like that, like that rush, you know? Dude, it is nonstop. I mean, the movie's basically one chase scene from start to finish. You get a little bit of a prologue that establishes Max and establishes the universe, and then Furiosa streaks across the desert, and the chase is on, and it doesn't let up for two hours, and it is glorious. Do you have any, do you have any complaints about the length? Uh, no. You? You know... <sighs> There's like a very small part of me that if I had to have any nitpick or complaint, I thought the movie might have been a touch too long. Like, it was definitely bordering on overkill. You know what my nitpick would be, which is related but not the same, is that I think the pacing gets a little off at the end. Like, basically, you you basically get to the point where they're going to turn around and go the other way and go back Mm -hmm. to the Citadel and try to retake it. And obviously... They don't want to waste too much time taking us back through the whole journey we just went on. But it does feel like to me like they decide they're going to go back. It happens really quickly. There's basically one more big sort of action sequence, and then the movie wraps up really fast. Yeah. And it's almost like the pacing gets a little bit off for me there. But Mm -hmm. that's more of a nitpick than a complaint. It's not enough to hurt the film. I think there are... Yeah, I would still give it a solid five stars out of five. Uh, even with any like minor nitpicks that I, I might went, have, I went four and a half out of five. But that's mm-hmm. I rarely give out five stars. So, but um, I don't think the movie's at its strongest in the last half hour. I think it's more the middle sections that it's is really when it's at its most just crazy intense awesome. Anytime, yeah, the, that... you know, when 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 Doof when the guitar guy's out there throwing fire from the neck of his guitar, that's. That's when the movie's rolling. Can we just talk some more about how much I love Guitar Guy, Terrence? 
Yo, whatever whatever music he was playing was just awesome. I love how the camera would just be sweeping over the War Boys and Joe's army, and it would just kind of go past. It wouldn't even linger on him. The camera would just go past Guitar Guy to remind us he's there. And as the <laughs> camera swooped past him, the soundtrack would pick up his guitar playing, blasting, and a big fucking smile would just erupt from my face every single time it happened. Yeah, he that was an awesome character, definitely. Guitar guy like represents the whole movie for me. It's a crazy ass mask guitar player suspended by a leather harness shooting. Is flames. he masked or yes. his face is deformed? No, he's masked. Hmm. There's um I read somewhere Miller has a whole backstory for him which they don't get into in the movie, which I think is fine. Mm-hmm. Cuz I think it's cooler when we don't have backstories for all these people. We just drop them in. But uh, mm-hmm. I read somewhere that the mask he's wearing is supposedly the face of his dead mother who Joe killed. Apparently, George Miller said that his backstory is he's a music prodigy whose mother was killed by Morton Joe in front of him. And he was taken into Joe's army and made their guitar player. You know, he's basically the equivalent of the guys that played the drums in the front of the lines in the Civil War or whatever. Uh-huh. And, uh, but he's, as a reminder, he's wearing his mother's face as a mask, which is some fucked up shit. That's fucked up. It is. Wait a minute. So he, um... <laughs> There's take no you other a way minute, to say uh, it. It's going to take you a minute to process this, isn't it? That, that's fucked up. And it's kind of neat little backstory stuff, but again, you don't need that stuff in the movie. And you don't. No, need to, you, you don't, don't need to go that you, deep into it. And you don't need to know any of that for for Guitar Man, the Doof Warrior, to be amazing. The Doof Warrior. I think his name is the Doof Warrior. Yeah, he's on here. I have the IMDb page open. I mean, listen to some of these names in this movie: Rictus Erectus. That the, was the big muscle guy. Cheeto the Fragile. The Dag, the People Eater, the Bullet Farmer, the Doof Warrior. The, the Bullet Farmer was cool. I like that that like hood he was wearing with the bullets. Yeah, the Organic Mechanic. I mean, what other fucking summer movie are you gonna get names like the Organic Mechanic? Come on, this movie. Gets... You think this movie's gonna have legs at the box office? Not that um, that really even matters you know at the what? end. I, it, right, it doesn't matter at all. We got the movie. It's done. We can buy it on Blu-ray and love it forever. The only real reason, I think, to get involved in the sort of box office thing is if you want to see further films made, if we want a sequel. And I know everybody's clamoring for more Mad Max, but George Miller's 70 years old, dude. And I don't want anybody else making these movies, honestly. Now, from seeing this, he's obviously still got it. I mean, he's obviously still a vibrant filmmaker. Um, I I mean, how many 70-year-olds are making movies this great? I How many 70-year-olds are kidnapping their crew in the desert for, like, seven months? Uh, Scorsese, you know, made The Wolf of Wall Street about a year, year and a half ago, and that, I think, is a masterpiece. But, I mean, this is just an absurd level of filmmaking prowess on display from a from a septuagenarian. But, um, I mean, how many more of these things do you think he has in him? But with that said, box office-wise, uh, A, who cares – and B, I mean, it's doing fine. It's making money. It'll do well overseas. You think we can still do podcasts at 70? Me and you, yeah. We'll be rocking this at 70. 
Mad Max, like the final frontier, part 50. You know, there may be some awkward pauses, some gaps, some misinformation spewed, but I don't know how that would make it any different from what we do now. So Yeah. (laughs) Plus, we are closer to 70 than we are to. Think about that. So how many of these things did they make in 30 years? What? Four. Four. So they'll make four more Mad Maxes. Because George By the Miller's time we're 70. But then we're counting on George Miller to live to be 100. He's got to do at least one more. I would like to see Tom Hardy do it again. Yes. I don't feel like I need a sequel to this, but if I did, the main reason I would want to is to see Tom have another go-round at the character. I thought they were supposed to do another one called Furiosa. There was talk of a Furiosa spinoff. I don't know if that'll ever happen. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how people thought this was going to be a huge mega hit anyway. Like again, the original films were more cult hits than box office hits. This is a weird fucking movie. My mother is not going to go see this movie, and if my mother does go and see this movie, she's going to walk out in the middle of it. You think? Uh, yeah. How about yours? <laughs> is your mom going to make it through Fury Road? My mother heard on the radio that the guy was just happy it was over. <laughs> she didn't want to see it after that. What guy? What guy? That- that's the, he felt that he had been brutalized Who, for two he? hours. Some some radio personality. Wait, so your mother listens to like a radio film critic who who turned her off from Fury Road? Well, she's just not into those intense movies like you that. Tell you tell your mom to listen to this podcast rather than some whack job on the radio. What about your mom? You gonna have her listen to? No, not at all. I, I, I don't want <laughs> I don't I don't want you corrupting my mother, Terrence. Okay. I'd prefer you just keep. I want to keep those two facets of my life firmly separated and completely. I think your mom should go see Fury Road. But um, this thing was never going to be huge. Uh, Pitch Perfect Two was always going to be Fury Road this weekend. Yeah, you know, just there like are I told not, my buddy. There are not sixteen-year-olds running out to see Fury Road. They're just not. It's a it's a movie for our generation. It's a movie for like us. I, like I told my buddy, I was like, look, man, the same audience that made Titanic a two billion dollar fucking box office extravaganza are going to make Pitch Perfect a success. Uh, the Doof Warrior is not for everyone, Terrence. Not no. every, not everyone needs a Doof Warrior in their life like we do. N- not everyone needs a gallon, gallons and gallons of breast milk. That uh, Some of those rooms in the Citadel, yeah, the breast milk room is really disturbing. It's like, ugh, those poor ladies, why weren't they rescued? I see how it is. No, You're, they came out at the end, didn't they? Did, well, yeah, I guess at the end. I guess once they go back and, and reclaim the Citadel, they're going to end up okay. But uh, that wasn't Furiosa's plan. That, that was all Max. Furi- how often do you the, think a Morton Joe the, uh, opened the water? Uh, I don't think it was very often. And they were all <laughs> Imagine fighting that over shit. it. <laughs> You're waiting there. You're waiting there for this guy to open the water just so he could, like, at least get a take a shower, like... A quick <laughs> The Citadel's built like so high up on this cliff. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. I don't know how they live up there. It's just, yeah, man. It's like, how long? How do does... they get the water up there? Doesn't water come from like underground? How are they getting it? From no, the they have of... pumps. So they're pumping. Okay, so they're pumping it up from underground and then dropping it down from up above. Is that what's happening? Yeah. All right, that makes sense. You've clearly put a lot of thought into the operations of the Citadel. Yeah, man, it's just, it's, I I would like to believe that it was possible, you know what I mean? Like, is there any, like, real-world 
like believability in this movie. Because when the apocalypse comes, you you want to mold yourself after a Morton Joe and be that guy that holds everyone under his thumb. You're you're prepping now. I'm in a car with a ton of spikes all over it, like a hedgehog. I, and just driving around and shit looking for gas. You're going to end up being a... You know when they go through the swamps and you see like the one weird humanoid creature on the stilts? Didn't you think about the Dark Crystal when you saw that? A Don't you bit, remember yeah. those things? Yeah, yeah. That's you, though. You're a stilt guy. You're like weird, creepy stilt guy. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we're going to call that an episode right there. Uh Hopefully we've entertained you, but the main point we want to get across is that if you haven't seen Mad Max Fury Road, please go see it. It's fucking amazing, and the best time you're going to have at the movies in forever, I promise you. It's such a blast to watch. And Terrence- Yeah, you don't want to see this movie and, like, you don't want to miss this movie in the theater, see it on your, on the small screen, and then realize that you should have seen it now when it was still being, like, shown in the theaters. In this age of, you know, we all have massive flat screen TVs and surround systems in our house and stuff, and I feel like there are fewer and fewer movies every year that sort of demand you go see them on the big screen. This is definitely, definitely one of them. And I even like the 3D, and I hate 3D. I hate 3D. And I I thought it worked. I, I went to a screening where I had to see it in 3D, and I thought it worked surprisingly well. The 3D was good. And you know what? Was the 3D in Avengers good? Not to go off the subject too I much? did not see Avengers in 3D. Mm, I saw it in 2D I. also. If I, if I, the only time I see 3D is if I go to a screening and don't have a choice. And, yeah, the 3D definitely suited Mad Max really well. And I thought it worked here because the universe is so stylized and the look of the film is so stylized anyway that the, the, the 3D making everything pop looks cool instead of stupid. Yeah, and uh, I actually did the. This hasn't happened to me in a long, long time, and probably not. You know, we have this current type of 3D they do now that kind of kicked off with Avatar. I don't think this happened to me until Fury Road, but I actually there's a scene where a grenade is thrown like at the audience, like the grenade is flying at the screen, and I ducked. Mm. I ducked. I was like, oh shit. Oh, you know, uh, I I think I ducked in the exact same spot. Now that you mentioned that. Yeah, I, and and then I felt really, really dumb, but. You know, what are you going to do? Nah, it's I, it's, all right. because, it's, it's It's a testament to the movie. I was so wrapped up into it that once the, the grenades start flying, I'm ducking for cover. Do you think you're going to see it again? <sighs> I, you know, I, I got a family at home. I don't have a ton of free time. I don't see a lot of movies twice in the theater anymore. But this one, if it plays long enough, I think I probably will. I think I want to go see it again. Terrence, thank you so much for joining me tonight for this minicast. It was a pleasure My having pleasure, you on man. again. And uh, we'll have to do another one of these soon. Yeah, let's do it. Everybody else, go see Fury Road, ASAP. If you've seen it already, see it again. Thanks for listening to the Cold Spark Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Please give us a really nice review at iTunes. We'd appreciate it. And we'll see everybody next time. Bye. Cha-ching.